I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about the technicalities. At home, I have a shelf full of, uh, you know, self-help books and, and program books talking about communication. Uh, in the, the one day at a time books that we have, there's not that much. Uh, there's no, in the index, there's really no pages specifically, um, titled communication. And uh, so it means that I have I had to go and look at communication in other places. And actually, it was the the way to look at communication is just right here in the twelve step program and the twelve step the traditions and the the the, com- the contact with you people and the recovery program. That's that's all about communication. So the, the stuff about nonverbal and verbal and body language and things like that. I'm not going to touch it. Uh, Basically, for me, a communication is, is giving and receiving information, you know, by talking and by listening. And that's about my definition, and that's all, and that's no lecture attached to it. Uh, personally, if I'm not, and I'm talking about communication with myself, uh, how can I do communication with anybody else if I'm not in touch with myself? So that's very important for me. And I also found out, and I, I didn't do very much uh, uh, of a, a good job, uh, you know, growing up and even for many years in the recovery program. But I found out that if I'm staying in the recovery mode, uh, I will have a better chance. I have absolutely no idea how to do to do communication. Uh, that's that's it. I, I've, I have no idea. I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to be, and uh, this is how I felt when I, before program. I've learned a lot since, uh, and every time I would, you know, over and over and over over the many years, uh, every time I wanted to communicate something to somebody, there was a difference in what I really want to communicate and how it came across. The, the language first, you know, was a little bit of a barrier. And uh, but what I wanted to come across was the, the stuff that came out, and I was frustrated and anxious about it. And the more I tried, the more it, the worse it got. And uh, I had trouble communicating with my kids, and I had trouble uh, talking and listening to my husband. And that is an ongoing problem, anyway. But uh, uh, that that was it, and I wanted to do it perfectly, you know, and. Uh, but if I stayed in in my distorted thinking, uh, coming from having lived in a uh, with the disease of alcoholism and addiction all around me, you know, I had no chance. So I came from a family. Uh, I'm an adult child of uh, a family uh, of uh, where there was addiction, uh, use of alcohol, drugs, and other other addictive behavior. And uh, as you know, uh, the ACOA program in Al-Anon really saved my skin uh, because uh, before the definition of uh, ACOA is somebody who doesn't talk, doesn't feel, doesn't trust, doesn't do because these are the rules that have been going on in the family. And uh, I, I couldn't reach anybody, so I would, I would just retreat, and I, I didn't know who I was. And it took me very many, many years to finally realize, to have the courage and the, the willingness to do that and to find out what I, you know. Uh, and I, again, if I can reach me, I can reach other people. I'm lost from the start if I don't do that. 
So the I I went to the I went to the program uh, to to find out what the requirements of good communication uh, are, and uh, I found them all over the place. I found found them in the how concept, which is you know honesty, openness, and willingness. I found them in the serenity prayer. The words are courage, wisdom, you know, serenity, and uh, in the three A's of the Ananal program. Awareness, acceptance, and action. And these are all great gifts, and they are all written all over the literature. If I don't use them, I'm in trouble. And this is just mainly what I want you to probably just to go away with it. Those, these are the words that are the requisite for giving me any chance to do something good. So uh, if I... Uh, if I if I don't do if I don't put on myself in that uh, in that uh, mood of uh, being open and willing and you know having courage wisdom etc etc what's left for me and I did that for a long time is just to roll up in a fetal position and forget about the world and myself and uh, or another alternative is to talk and talk and talk and just not say anything uh, the other one is just to not to listen. Or to listen, you know, not to listen and not to be able to carry a conversation uh, without being honest and open and everything. And it's no problem. The last thing is that I'm denying my own reality, you know, if I'm not in contact with myself. So another way is the ADS syndrome, you know, always doing something. It's do, 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 do. And then the last one is... Uh, just go on, be, be, be very busy, and go and take care of other people, because I do not know how to take care of me. And take care of other people, you know what that means in a, in a, in a sick family, is just, just total codependency. I was losing myself, you know, in taking care of other people, and thought, you know, that I was supposed to do that, and it's just totally erroneous. So I have had to learn to be able to communicate, I have had to learn to relax. And uh, to look at all the words that I just enumerated in the beginning, you know, in the how concept, the the, the serenity prayer, the three A's, and uh, all the steps and everything I ever learned in Alanan. So uh, the sense of humor had to come back, and that was a kind of a very hard <laughs> enterprise uh, because uh, I didn't have much left. Uh, another great big word that I had to deal with was forgiveness. Forgiveness of myself for not having been able to do anything about it. Not, you know, forgiveness for my imperfections, you know, and uh, forgiveness for other people to, uh, for having uh, taught me my way of thinking and my way of living, which was ne not necessarily productive. And, uh, you know, to the to the people around me, mainly my my alcoholic husband and my alcoholic father, uh, who uh, my father died way before I got into me to uh, program, but I had to deal with him too. So uh, with the there's a few little recipes, you know, just a little bit of of love and a little bit of hug, a little hug, you know, go a long way. And it took me years and years and years to give myself a hug, you know, just recognize that I was a live human being and that I could 
I could touch myself and wrap myself, you know, in my own arms. The first time I did that, I don't, I don't think I was alone. I was with a person who was safe. And I, I cried for 15 minutes. I burst out crying and I cried for 15 minutes because that was the first time I was giving love to myself and acceptance and recognition to myself. So that opened the door, you know, for, for feeling finally as a real person, you know, with my qualities and my defects. It took me two years to, in all and to even be able to look at the third step. Um, at the fourth step, at the inventory step. And uh, it was difficult. Uh, before, I didn't want to look at it because I felt such a phony. I had all the, the trapping, outside trapping as a, you know, as a kind of a okay human being with a, you know, with a decent intelligence, a decent career, a decent family, etc., etc. And, uh, but I didn't feel okay inside. So, and I certainly didn't feel enough. So uh, how can I, you know, go and take care of myself if I'm in that mood? So that was that was the beginning of um, of um, being able to to grow and being able to to do an inventory and to be able to feel like a real human being, as I said. Uh, the second part, the second chapter of this saga is uh, a contact with a higher power contact with a higher power God as, as I understand God and um, uh, I was uh, raised until nine years old without a God without even the notion of a God and then I then because my father con- converted to the Catholic religion I was thrown in the Catholic religion, big time, boarding school, nuns, da da da, da for years and years, and uh, uh, there was there were moments uh, in in my life in boarding school, especially when we had a retreat, and we were given you know, given quiet time and meditation time. Actually, I didn't know that. Uh, where uh, we were invited to just be quiet and be quiet inside and, and look at us and things like that. So I had, a, and at that time I had moments of really connecting with a power greater than myself, but I really did not know exactly what it was. The, the God of my understanding at that time was giving me quite a bit of fear and lots of guilt and was a long way, way, way away. And I felt too small to be interested, interesting to God. You know, I wasn't worth it. My self-esteem was just way, way at the bottom. But I had occasionally a feeling of being a part of, of a big entity, which included the, the, my family, the country, the universe, you know, the spirit of everything. So, and nature also. Nature, I could correspond, I could communicate with nature much, much better than I could communicate with God or with human beings, that's for sure. So God was still kind of seen as a stern, punishing, distant father. And, uh, I, and was for me a, a person. It looked like a person. Didn't necessarily look like my father, but looked like a person. And, uh, I went on for the human model for quite a while, but, uh, I didn't think uh, God was around very much during the active disease. I pushed him away. And uh, the bitterness and the loneliness was very, very, very severe for a long time. Uh, what I've done in, uh, in uh, recovery is to, uh, to really discover that uh, my higher power, as I understand it, 
uh, is very real and it's very close and it's very everywhere and it speaks to me not necessarily through you know thunder lightning and shafts of light coming down the sky but uh, mainly through other people through other human beings who are giving me the message and certainly through the 12-step programs so uh, I feel now that I am a part of creation and I am worthy and uh, my self-esteem is more solid than it was before and I can reach that power anytime, anywhere I can uh, I don't have to be uh, in a in a very special condition I like meditation I've done some meditation formal meditation I like that but for the moment my mind is going too fast I really have a hard time quieting down but what I can do I can click quickly and these are these are tricks <laughs> that I, I, I feel good I feel okay about it you know just meditation is listening to God and prayer is talking to God that was a huge discovery about a year into my program that I could talk and I could listen to God whatever form there was and that I could reach God any time and I remember when I was working I was an, I'm, a, I'm a retired anesthesiologist and I would I would kind of put God on my left shoulder and I walk you know with my right court in my operating room you know duds and I was going on a difficult case and I was scared and I was you know insecure but I had God on my life and I remember walking the corridors between the operating rooms of the Cleveland Clinic and uh, it was amazing the the the, the contact the, the direct contact the, the amazingly close contact I had with with something bigger than myself who was good or pervasive you know important uh, healing etc etc and supporting and loving so uh, that's what uh, that's what I have done with uh, with prayer and meditation and my con my uh, connection with God. Uh, I can feel the strength and the love of the Spirit, you know, because uh, it is there for me to reach, you know, to 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 love and to grow and to enjoy. And uh, but I have to keep an open mind. I can shut off, you know, the higher power very quickly, and I have to keep an open mind and be ready and feel the support and be grateful for it. And I also I have to shut off the committees in my mind. They're going. Da -da 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 -da. Uh, a, a nice phrase, I don't know exactly where it comes from, but it's, it's uh, popular, is be still and know that I am God. And at that time, I'm in contact with him. So this is all I want to do, and I'm going to give the mic to Lee. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. I, I'm Lee and from Wisconsin and grateful member of Al-Anon. Hi, everyone. Hi, y'all. I used to be from the South. Uh, <laughs> I realize I was born in Virginia, but um, it's funny talking to Deborah Hood on the phone. Even though my parents still have a very strong Southern accent, there are times I had to listen. Excuse me? <laughs> what was that again? And this part of my part of communication, of course, is um, listening. I, I was raised in a family. Well, first of all, I want to thank you all for coming and thank my husband and for, for being here, our AA friends who will, keep, who will uh, take my inventory for me as I go along. <laughs> I've been promised that already. And to all of my Al-Anon friends, I, I do appreciate you being here. Um, in my, I want to just briefly give you a little bit of my history. My, my parents are not alcoholics, they're not binge drinkers, and they, um, 
they don't have any addictions that I that I'm aware of anyway at this point um, that they that that they had to deal that they've ever had to deal with um, but my um, my mother comes from a long line of codependence and um, and of course it's part of the legacy that, that I've tried to learn to, to grow past and hopefully hopefully have been able to break the, the um, pattern um, with our kids um, I met my husband when we were 15 years old and in high school and I met him because we were seated alphabetically in, in a high school uh, US history class and he was HOF, Huffteaser, I was Holdcroft, HOL. And um, even then I knew how to get my knees met because he asked me what I did besides type up my notes. Like it's the day after, the first day we'd met, um, I had typed up my notes and he asked me what, what, else, what else I did and I said I go out when I'm asked. So <laughs> a little forward, but, uh, but I was getting my knees, well, my knees met, oh, I thought here. Now, now we have a, a daughter who's almost 19 and and when she hit 15, we thought, oh, egads, <laughs> what is she going to do? Um, and she, well, that's a different story. But anyway, <laughs> um, in, in, in my, um, with the codependency in my family, I learned certain patterns, but certainly the patterns that I learned are not, are no excuse for me continuing them. I, I have a responsibility as an adult and as someone in recovery to choose what, what I'm going to do. And so, yes, sometimes it has been a struggle to change those patterns. And yes, it sometimes has been a struggle to change, uh, to be, to counter what my family still continues to do. But it's important for me. And, and yes, it separates me from my family, my birth family. But it's still, it's essential for me to do that because what I've chosen to do is healthier for me to do. Um, one of the things that I've, I've been good at, um, that I'm, I'm trying to change, is uh, when I listen to what someone is saying, especially if I'm being very, uh, if there's a lot of emotion involved, I attach tremendous amounts of baggage to what it is they're saying. We've had, I've mentioned in, around the tables here, um, both this year and previous years, that we've had, we have had rather stressful time with our youngest daughter, with she's a variety of diseases and. Um, She's 14 years old, and I don't need to go into her inventory. But I find myself if, if I'm if I'm tired, but hung, hungry. I think it would halt. Pardon? Yeah. Okay. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, um, or tired. Sometimes all four. Then I certainly will remember the past, project to the future, and, and just assume, making an ass out of myself, that um, whatever my my daughter is telling telling me um, is a cover up for her not doing what I want her to do. As an example, we had a party last Saturday for the people that my husband works with at the Corrections Institute, and I had I, being the one at home, I was busy. You know, doing all the gardening around the house and and doing cleaning the house and buying purchasing whatever we needed to buy, and um, I was tired, I was overworked, I was hungry, um, not exactly lonely, but still tired and uh, and thinking, I wish this daughter would get off her butt and help me out, and you know, just really um, fixating on on that idea, and um, I asked her if she would help me, and I thought I said it in a nice way. And I guess I did because I, I really blindsided her when and when she said no, she wasn't going to do that. And here she was reading a book and kind of watching TV at the same time. I laid into her, 
verbally and said, well, then you can just make dinner. You know, <laughs> where it came from, I don't know, but it just, I guess because I was also thinking, well, it's five o'clock, we need to make dinner really soon, and, and, and here I have to do that, as well as, you know, whatever the other chores were. Um, and so I, I struggle, I, I work really hard to avoid that prejudgment. Um, it gets in the way of hearing the, the truth, what's going on. Um, the kind of a funny thing that happened to me here is we, we were on the 17th floor, an, an odd number floor, and we needed to get some ice. So I said, all right, you know, I'll go get some ice. We so walked down to the 16th floor. Oh, there's no ice here. I found a machine, but no ice. So I go down to 15th floor, no ice, and, and then I saw a sign, oh, ice machine only on the even number floor. Okay. Walk down to the 14th floor, <laughs> and there's ice in the hopper. Okay, so well, I got a little bit of ice, and it's fine. Go back upstairs. The next day, which was yesterday, I decided we need to get more ice. Obviously, it melts. So go, so go down to the 16th floor. No ice. You know, hidden hopper. I don't know what in the world's going on. Go down to the 14th floor to avoid that middle one. And I finally see the button and the instructions right in front of me saying, to get ice, push the button. <laughs> it's right in front of me, and I missed it. I just, I just oh, good grief. <laughs> so that sometimes those messages are, are real direct, and, and sometimes I still don't get them. But, but even, well, eventually it came to me. But So I, I've got to open my mind up to the fact that there may be another way. It's not, not, not always my way that, you know, here I thought the ice machine worked a certain way. I, I've been around, you know, <laughs> I know how ice machines work. But anyway, so, so I have to open my mind and my heart to the possibility that other people may be right more though, more than what's in the literature and what we've, what has been shared at these meetings where, you know, if you're having an argument to say, you can say, if you, if you want to dispel things, you can say, you may be right. And, and I've done that. But I have to believe that, yeah, truly they may be right. Truly my husband might be right sometimes. <laughs> truly my daughter might be right. And, um, and even, you know, even if I still think, kind of think I'm right at that point, I'm, it's, it's time for me to just shut up, just to accept it, pray about it, whatever, change, change the uh, tone of the conversation or change the conversation topic entirely. Um, by by being a listener who can open my mind and my heart to the possibility that other people may be right, it helps keep the channel of communication open with my children. It's, it's essential. We have a daughter who's almost 19 that I mentioned and his daughter who's almost 14. And it is essential to me as a parent to to try to keep from prejudging in order that they feel safe to come to me and they feel safe coming to my husband to share what problems they're, they're having. Uh, luckily, you know, and gratefully, we've both been, my husband and I have both been in recovery for a long time um, and working the program and speaking the same language for a long time that, that um, our kids know it's a safe place to come, that emotionally it's a safe place for them to come. Um, when I speak, it's, it's essential for me to know what I mean to say and take ownership of it. Um, there, I remember early on in, Al, in uh, even in Al-Anon, if I was upset about something, I would grab the vacuum cleaner and you know and vigorously vacuum, which 
didn't address any of the issues. And I remember my husband saying, you know, why don't you just turn it off, sit down, let's talk. And he's not my sponsor, but thank goodness he's got a program that, that helped bring me up short and so that I could acknowledge that I was perhaps doing things a little bit insanely, a little or a little bit unhealthily. Um, and I'm, honey, I'm grateful for that for you. <laughs> um, but in speaking, um, I, I also, well, I have, I, let me repeat or uh, go back a little bit. In speaking um, and in my recovery, I've decided to take ownership of what I say and take responsibility for what I say. And um, sometimes I find that there are people in my life who try to be my champion and um, and take responsibility for what I say or arguments that I get into. And it, this is an issue that my husband and I have worked with where he wants to settle things down or um, make sure the kids respect me. If I get in, start into an argument with the kids, mm-hmm. usually with the youngest one, um, my husband has in the past come running upstairs to try to try to settle things in, down and get, get her daughter to be quiet or just to whatever. And, and I've had to fight back and say, look, don't undermine me. This is my relationship. The, the, these, are the, these are the consequences that I'm creating and I'm going to have to face if I screw it up. That's my growth. And, and it's, it's essential for me to face that. Um, sometimes when speaking, I have to repeat what I say. I, have to, I might have to clarify it um, and, and recognize that others don't always hear me perfectly. Other people have baggage, too. And um, I have to also respect and accept the, the frailties of humanity. Sometimes people have a different perception than I do. Sometimes... Um, I need to speak more clearly. Sometimes I need to identify what my what my feelings are because it's coming out all sideways with a little bit of one thing as well as another. Um, sometimes there might be other distractions going on. I also need to, to think about the appropriateness of the time um, to talk about things. You know, if we're in the middle of an intimate moment, if I happen to think about <laughs> whatever, you know, the dog or something, it's not not the appropriate time. Um, in my mind, to bring that up. Um, let's see. Uh, one of the things that, that I that I did a lot of uh, early on, or and before Al-Anon was was uh, people pleasing. Of course, in the the problem with people pleasing is that you lose who you are. You, or at least I lost I, I lost a sense of who I was, and then I resented the fact that no one knew who I was, and, and then, I, then I had to understand the fact that I hadn't shared who I was. So um, it uh, it was essential for me to be honest with myself and to gain the courage to share that with other people. I remember with my mother-in-law one time, um, gosh, this must have been like 17 years ago, um, early, I was early in Al-Anon, and she had done something or other that... I, I can't even remember what it was. Uh, I was I felt, I felt really close to her. She was just a gem of, wom- of a woman. But um, I remember being upset with her, and um, but not. But I, I was not one to, to confront people. I was just so afraid of that. And uh, I talked to people in my Al-Anon group, and they said, "Well, you know, you can practice in front of a mirror first. You can you, know, you can talk to me first, and let's you know let, let's go over what it is." What it is you want to say, and so so I did that, and I and I did practice in front of a mirror, and um, 
and found a way because of it of the strength of the people of the program um, these people were were working in their own lives in Al-Anon I, I learned that I don't have to lash out in anger all the time and I was able to say, say to her uh, I really felt that what you did under, was undermining what, I was, what I'm trying to do just very gently and she cried and I cried <laughs> and, and it was fine but, but I had started communicating appropriately and, and honestly and I, I wasn't a doormat and I wasn't resentful because, because I got to, got to get that, that um, honest gem out and so we, so then we could become closer as well. Um, let me see what else I wanted to cover here. Uh, and, and working to communicate more effectively, um, there are so many tools, as, as Michelle said, so many tools in the program. Of course, people are, are one. Michelle is my, is my sponsor, and I call her, I can't say on a regular basis, but certainly when I'm in crisis, um, and uh, just recently, I was, I was about to, to react inappropriately to something, I, to an email I had received. And she said, well, they're not asking you to do anything. And I was, I was all head up. And I was, oh, good grief, you know, someone's taking advantage of me. And uh, it's not even my job. And she said, they're not asking you to do anything. And I realized, oh, yeah, <laughs> I can just answer the question that was being asked of me and move on. And then... And, and that was, and it was so simple. If I hadn't had her to bounce that off of, and if I if I had just shot off my my anger, um, I know I would have have caused tremendous hard feelings and um, and kept things from being you know, this this relationship from being very productive. So um, in step one, we're powerless over alcohol. Well, we're also powerless over other people's perceptions. And as um, you know, Joan Larson has said repeatedly, you know, I, I'm not. Re, uh, responsible for what, other, what, for what other people think of me, and, and that's, this is very true. Um, I'm powerless over other people's perceptions, but I can certainly, you know, do my part in trying to help them understand what it is I mean. Um, and if they still choose to twist it or don't understand, then then I, I have to let I can let go of that. With steps two and three, I, I need my higher my higher power to relieve me of my temporary insanity. Sometimes. Even though I've been in Alan a long time, sometimes it's there, and sometimes this happens with other through other people. Sometimes through prayer, um, and um, and with steps four and five, and admitting character defects. Let me see. I, I wrote, admitting admitting character defects surrounding communication makes it easier to admit when I take back the old behaviors. Um, Admitting that, that there is a problem, or having admitted that there is a problem, helps me to see that, and, and, well, and, and working step six and seven and, you know, and going on from there, helps, makes it so much easier for me to acknowledge that, yeah, maybe I've goofed up again, and maybe I need to, to revisit this, maybe I need to, um, to work on it again. Our, our kids, uh, having grown up in the program through osmosis and you know, through, through what we've tried to share with them, um, sometimes act as a barometer for, for our, uh, how healthy we're doing. Our um, nearly 19-year-old and I and our, our other daughter went down to Florida to visit my parents, who aren't in any kind of recovery program. And, uh, and my kids like to sleep late, and they don't get along with their grandparents really well. Everybody's grandparents, and um, 
And when my oldest daughter would come down the stairs after sleeping till noon or one or two or something, my parents would say, oh, she's alive, <laughs> which she hears at home. <laughs> and she said, now I see where you got it from, this passive-aggressive behavior. <laughs> thank you, honey. Thanks. <laughs> I need to look at that. <laughs> and thankfully, with the program, I can look, I can look at that, decide whether it's true or not, and decide what to do about it. I'm not saying that my kids are always um, always that, that, that what they share with me reflects reality. It's just it's just what they perceive. Um, so so of course you know, we're getting to step ten. When we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. And with my my story earlier of how I um, blew up at my daughter for for not helping, for not getting off her butt. And for you know, reading when I had all this work to do, within within about half an hour. Well, first she she did get up and got out of my way because she knew she knew she shouldn't stay in the house. So she 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 went outside to do something or other and um, came back in. And so within I think it was within half an hour, within half an hour at least within an hour, I was able to make amends to her. I was able to apologize and then and say I'm sorry. I need to make amends to you, and which means in, in my mind. I need to change my behavior. It's not just saying saying I'm sorry. So I'm really really grateful for the program. And now she's here in Alatine, and um, for the first time, and hearing the same kind of stuff, the, same, the use of the tools or whatever. And she thinks she can help everybody. She's like a, a brand new Alanon, you know, ready to jump the twelfth step right away. <laughs> it's really really uh, amazing. Like, oh, I can do, I can help them so much. I know, I know so much. But, but that's that's her path. We will we'll help her out with that. But but I'm really grateful to Deborah for asking me to talk. It's um, it's helped my program. I appreciate that. And uh, you've you've done a great job, you and Anne Marie. And um, I think that's about all that I wanted to share. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.